हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब फॉलोइंग इज अ कॉन्वर्सेशन विद साबेरी Mishra growing up amidst an atmosphere of dance and music Saberi was naturally pulled towards them from a very early age like a moth to a flame she ta- started her dance training at the age of 3 under the able and distinguished guidance of her grandmother Shrimati Guru Sushmita Mishra a celebrated Kathak guru she gave her first stage performance at the age of 4 in Kolkata and received a standing ovation In London her first performance came at the age of 6 at the Bharatiya Vidya Bhavan where she received a standing ovation in the presence of the High Commissioner of India at the time Besides dance Saberi is also receiving Lalit Alim through learning tabla from her father and vocal training from her mother respectively She has also given solo performances as a tabla player and a singer She has already established herself as a fine Kathak dancer Born in Kolkata into a family of traditional musicians and dancers of the Jaipur Gharana she is the great granddaughter of Pandit Jailal Maharaj ji the granddaughter of Pandit Ram Gopal Mishra and Shrimati Guru Shrimata Mishra and daughter of Pandit Rajkumar Mishra a renowned tabla player and Shrimati Chandrama Mishra an established and acclaimed Hindustani vocalist Saberi has done her schooling in one of the most elite schools in London St James Senior Girls School Yeah. Yes, Abhi. Just to get started. Hi, welcome. Thanks for coming on. And Thank you for having me. For sure. And since it's a Saturday, I wanted to know, like, what's been the highlight of your week so far? What's been the highlight of my week? Yeah. Um. What did I do this week? Okay. A highlight. I can't say the highlight of my week, but I think I I I just went to Kolkata for five days. Mm-hmm. Very recently. that was that's i think been the highlight of the last what the 7 days 7 8 days maybe mm-hmm. just uh, going spending time with my grandmother my thamma she's also mm-hmm. my guru so getting to spend that time with her um it was literally just 5 days of being at home with her um playing ludo with her uh just having great conversations with her learning from her uh so that was i think the highlight i'm really close to her i've been super close to her since well hmm. i was born pretty much uh so spending time with her was always a highlight and she, hmm. i'm not going to see her for the next 3 months she's gone off to london to spend time with my parents so it was 5 hmm. days i really really treasured understood yeah. yeah i'm trying to go to kolkata myself right now coincidentally my thamma is there with my mom and dad It's just that we, the whole US visa thing is kind of crazy. You have to log in at a certain time and time it exactly right, hoping to get a slot. Yeah, it's kind of the US the the visa stamping thing is kind of crazy right now. So, but yeah, it'll sort itself out. And one thing I always like to ask Saveri is, since like you've been doing Kathak for such a long time, you know, I I'm I I've been doing Kathak for like a couple of years. So when I learn when I like learn from someone, it's different, right? Because you're trying I'm trying to figure out how to get my hand in that corner and all that. But when you're learning with your Thamma right now, what do those learning sessions look like? And the teaching and the learning that exchange. I wanted to very curious about that. uh to be completely honest kathak is a very like composition oriented art form mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh you it's 
it's about the creation of compositions, the rhythmic kind of uh, intricacies that those compositions have, uh, whether it's a paran or a parimillu, where does it come from, what are you trying to show through your movements, it's about that. So right now, more than the technicalities of how I'm dancing or like what's happening with my arms or my feet or my face, mm -hmm. it's to do with uh, she's She's been creating a lot, uh, specifically to Thamma. She's still creating. She's 87 years old and she's still creating new balls, new compositions. And she mm. right now, I think because she's at that age now where she just wants to share everything that she has. Mm. So these five days with her specifically was her just being like, do this. I thought of this composition, dance this now or do this now. And mm -hmm. it's nice because she just says the composition and she says this is how she's imagined it. And. I just have to execute it. So that's been yeah. nice. She Sometimes she picks out things that she thinks I need to polish a little more. So it's more about, okay, you're doing well, but this is what you need to polish. But I have this in my head. I've kind of conceptualized this. I want to see how it's how, how it looks, right? Yeah. How, how you can execute it. So rather than going into, oh, do this with your right hand and then you know, do this with your feet. It's never really like that. She gives me the composition and then she says, okay, let me see what you can do with it. Hmm. Uh, it's more of a joint creative endeavor rather than her, just her talking at me, telling me hmm. what to do. Which is nice. Uh, understood. And when it comes to the retention part of it, you know, so there's like uh, one way uh, from what I understand to retain something is to like do something over and over again till you kind of, you have like a, your body absorbs and your memory of it. Some people like to write things as well and write down every step. And some people do both. How, where do you, what do you, what do you like to do for retention for yourself? I, I, I don't write at all. Hmm. I've never written a single thing. Okay. Uh, in my dancing learning process. I, I don't like to write at all. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe because that when I started, I started at a very subconscious age. I started when I was two and a half, right? Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to write then. So you, when you start, the learning process itself is so organic. Like mm. everything is happening from whatever you're picking up around you. Uh, I, I started in a small class. So my grandmother would be teaching like five, six of the students. And okay. they were all 12, 13 years older than me. Mm. And I just kind of, my mother put me in the class and she said, just put your gurus on and just, just stand there. Right? It, it wasn't really about learning something. It was more about taking in, ab ab kind of absorbing the atmosphere in that class. Hmm. So I learned the first three, four years was just more than like Thamma being like, do this, do that, or really listening. A two and a half year old, how much attention span are you going to have, right? Hmm. I was more just in the class to observe what she was teaching. Um, so I think the first two, three years was me learning subconsciously because I was just surrounded by dance, singing and tabla all day, mm. every day. After that, um, because I had the basics down in my head and I never needed to write it down, mm -hmm. I felt that I could learn everything without writing it down. So for me, it was a repetition always. Mm. Um, Tama taught me something. She made me do it 10 times in the lesson or in class whenever I was with her. Then I did it 10 more times when I was alone and it was pretty much down in my head. Mm. It's very much habit. Uh, if you're in the habit of learning and uh, getting it into your mind without writing it, you're never going to need a piece of paper again until I think you start composing yourself. 
Mm. Um, like I've started composing myself, and I, now I need to write stuff down because I can't compose every day and remember what I, what I've composed in that sense. But mm. learning, I've never needed to write anything down, and I actually think it's helped a lot mm. because now mm. when Thamma says do this, do that, do you remember what I taught you like ten years ago, fifteen years ago? I remember it. Hmm. It, it's, it, it's made uh, the artistic brain stronger for sure understood understood yeah. and uh, like speaking of like say learning say tabla and vocals and kathak um i so i guess you learned in an immersive environment and that's kind of different but now say when you have students coming from different backgrounds who may not have that environment Mm-hmm. And I want to get your thoughts on, say, if someone wants to say major or main in Kathak, when should one start introducing the allied arts, so to speak, like say the allied vocals, and kind of get that understanding built? Would it be day one? Should they wait a couple of years? What do you, what have you found works best? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I think when you have the Kathak vocabulary down, hmm. and when you have the basic, I, look, every guru teaches differently, right? So I yeah. can't. be like this is exactly when yeah but uh, when you have the basics down like you know the mm-hmm. basic tatkar or the basic footworks that you need for for kathak the basic hastaks right that that every kathak dancer needs in their dictionary mm-hmm. or um what whatever you i i think maybe the first year you should just concentrate on dance Mm-hmm. because if you are learning kathak from scratch and you have no idea what it is you've never done it before you need like 1 to 2 years of just your body getting used to the dance form mm. because it's so hard i mean i've i i started teaching what maybe 6 7 years ago mm-hmm. and i taught a little kid for the first time Yeah. And in my head I was like, oh, it's going to be so easy cuz she's a child and yeah. like what children can adapt to everything and so I was teaching her. <laughs> yeah. And I was teaching her like really basic hastak and she just wasn't getting it. And as the as a first time teacher, I was getting frustrated cuz you don't have any experience then and you're not yeah. patient. So I was like, why is this so hard? And then I thought I need to break it down for I can't just be like do this. like to me it looks easy yeah. but it's not for her because to me it's just one movement maybe but for her that has like 100 things in it that i need to explain so i had to like break down okay so now you need to go up and then you need to move your wrist this way and you need mm. to free your wrists a little bit but not just your wrist like your finger joints have to be mm. flexible too and A lot of people don't have flexible finger joints. Like I know this sounds really simple, but they don't. So these things they take a long time to develop. So I think the first one two years, depending on how fast you're, you know, learning, which is different for everyone, of course. Mm-hmm. I think you should just concentrate on the art form or on kathak, and mm-hmm. then once you're down with the vocabulary and the grammar of the art form, um, and you're more comfortable with your body and the movements. uh and you get into the whole tal system mm-hmm. i think the first lesson that you get into teen tal right is idealistically when it would be great to get into tabla as well because it mm-hmm. goes hand in hand um if you know the tabla balls it will help you with your kathak if you know the kathak balls tabla just comes naturally to those balls when you say dha dhan dhan dha those are tabla balls right mm-hmm. and then ta the, 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 the equivalent and it's the 
kathak bols when you know bo- both it helps and along the way it will help even more um, hmm. at the beginning you may not feel that it's helping a lot but i think 6 7 years into your kathak training it'll be oh so i guess as i say on that note if you have an example to break down so say uh like you say it it'll help you 6 7 years down the line like if you can share some examples where like say a tabla background would have helped someone versus someone who maybe doesn't have that uh yeah. that would be really good okay so just down history if mm-hmm. i can say like one of my favorite kathak dancers is pandit durgalal ji hmm. okay uh he used to play the tabla um he also had knowledge of vocal music okay hmm. people who have knowledge of tabla usually have really good padhant padhant mm-hmm. is one of the most important aspects of kathak uh one of the main reasons being tabla has a really big variety of syllables and bowls really big variety you have dhere dhere you have tere kete you have kran you have like there's just so much din dha tin like so many uh, different combinations and a lot of kathak bowls are made out of tabla or pakhawaj bowls depending on what composition you're dancing if it's a padan mm. it'll be pakhawaj bowls right those compositions when you if you learn a bit of tabla you'll start realizing that there are a lot of similarities like we do upaj and tabla players they do um sorry what's it called yeah uh, peshkar or uthan again mm. depending on what gharana they um representing yeah. right in upaj we're doing the same thing we have taken the tal and then we're improvising within that cycle right with whatever vocabulary that we have i'm going to try and explain this in the simplest way possible mm-hmm. but when you're on stage and you're improvising mm-hmm. or you're practicing your improvising there are always syllables going on in your head and then that's coming out through your feet you're never just your brains never like idle right you're not just moving your feet without thinking you're obviously thinking about something hmm. if you limit your this is this is my opinion right i could be wrong but if you limit your mind to just kathak bols there's very limited sounds that you can create with your feet if you know tabla bols because tabla includes tabla and the baya there's a bass and a treble hmm. there's so many ideas that you can derive from that instrument and apply it to your feet i've done it mm-hmm. i i practice a lot of tabla qaidas on my foot hmm. and that's uh i think made me a more versatile dancer when it comes to footwork there's a lot more creation a lot more sound that i can create that's more versatile um that's helped second when you dance and your padhant is clear almost always your hastak will be clear because the balls are so clear in your mind they're so clear in your mind that every single even your hastak and your footwork my dada ji used to say before you learn any composition you have to learn the footwork of that composition when you know the footwork of the composition because the footwork is what's um, if you're doing uh, if you're saying thari kitta nagathari every single one of those syllables should be heard from your foot hmm. you should be able to enunciate it with your feet right but if your parhant itself is loose you're not your mouth to your feet that connection is not going to be made um so that it's helped me in that way second of all just tal and lay uh tabla players they are they are so versatile they accompany vocalists they accompany instrumentalists they accompany dancers 
they have to um, adjust to every main artist on stage, right? They are the most, um, what do we say, when, when, when you say we put somebody into a container and they take the shape of that container, a tabla player is that. If you can just understand the basics of how people learn tabla, and because the syllables are so connected to Kathak, it is bound to help you. It is bound to help you because um, you are then able to tell tabla players how they can accompany you. That's also a really big skill. There are not many tabla players out there who can accompany Kathak. And if you are a Kathak dancer who's aware of how it should be played on a tabla, like basic, you can then tell a tabla player, this is how I want you to accompany me. And it changes the whole dynamic on stage as a professional dancer on stage, I'm speaking. But as you go along in your Kathak career, tabla is only going to strengthen your lay. It's always going to strengthen your lay. Tabla players play on a track. They, Whenever they're playing a solo, they're playing to a lehra. When they're accompanying an instrumentalist, they have to keep that background. They, they're the skeleton of the whole concert. If you can just get into the mind of a tabla player for a little bit, it helps. Mm-hmm. It helps and to be a dancer, it helps to be a musician, it helps to be a singer. And what's the difference between a tabla player accompanying a kathak dancer versus a kathak dancer accompanying a tabla player? Or did I say something there? No, I mean, it's always a it's always a tabla player accompanying a Kathak dancer. But what I'm saying is, for example, if um, there's a different way to accompany Thaat. Hmm. When you're doing Thaat, you can't accompany in the same way that you're accompanying when somebody's dancing a Parimillu, for example. You can't be as loud. You could, there, doesn't, there doesn't have to be as many syllables when you're playing. All this knowledge is not going to come unless you know a little bit about tabla. Hmm. That's why a lot of the times I've felt uh, when there's a tabla player accompanying a Kathak dancer, it can get very loud, right? It can get really loud. That happens because I think people feel that it's dance and it has to be really extravagant. So like hmm. really extravagant. But if the dancer is a little knowledgeable about tabla, oh. they can tell them, look here, I want a little bit of this type of accompaniment. I see. Which happens I see. all the time in music. Like the musician will always be like, Either it not take a mat bajao or Understood. like don't, don't be so busy here. Play like simple take up. But you hmm. it's very rare to for a Kathak dancer to be like, don't play so loud here. Because okay. I we are not as knowledgeable yet and I think it will help us to be. Understood. It will change and, the whole performance. And so to, I guess you can kind of figure these things out before getting on stage and have those conversations. But are you able to call these adjustments on the fly by like, do you have any, is that something you can do on the fly with your tabla player? You have to kind of work this out before. No, I mean, of course, if you, you've known the tabla player for a yeah. long time, then you can do it before. But if you're getting mm. on stage, it's the first time you're doing oh, it. A lot okay. of things that happen have to happen on stage that maybe the audience doesn't really realize it's happening. I see. Uh, a lot. I mean, I've done it many times where I've, in between, I've, I've gone to them, to the side, and I've said something like, okay. okay, I'm doing this composition, just go light, or, you know, really go for it, or whatever. Understood. Okay. But I, me, as a Kathak dancer, I also need to know whether he can do that or not. I can't just have unrealistic expectations from him or her, right? Um, that's why the knowledge of tabla is so important. Most of the balls we're dancing are from tabla. Uh, if you're, if so much of your vocabulary is coming from an art form, I believe that knowing basics of that art form is going mm. to help. Uh, 
Or it's also going to help you create later on in life. Hmm. You are and not just going to be a dancer who performs other people's compositions. You will be able to create your own. Understood. Yeah. And this might be this might not have an answer so we can skip it if it doesn't. But like do you have any like insights into so say in terms of say you said you should it's good to have some knowledge of tabla but are there any like for from a for a person from a perspective of a kathak dancer are there any like benchmarks they should hit or like a baseline level they should have like and what would that baseline look like of course you the more you learn the better but you kind of have to like balance everything and all that but i was wondering are there certain basic things they know and what kind of basic things would they be um i think that what one should definitely do is always practice with a tabla player Okay. Uh, that's very rare nowadays mm-hmm. because you have the iPhone or whatever you have Androids that you know have these yep. heras and uh-huh. it, and 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 to be completely fair, there aren't many people out there who will come and practice. That there aren't as many um, accompanies for Kathak as for let's say for an instrumentalist, right? For a sitar or a sarod or a vocalist, there aren't as many um, people as proficient. In that sense. Yeah, it's a complete... Accompanying Kathak is a whole different thing. Like, it's a completely different discipline in itself. Like, tabla players will call Kathak dancers and say that, you know, I'm I'm a full-time accompanying artist, but I have no idea how to accompany Kathak. It's oh, complete. so it's like a specialization they do, kind of. Absolutely. Hmm. It's a specialization, and I believe it should be a specialization because you can't just come from... a accompanying instrumentalists and vocalists for years and years and then come and accompany a Kathak dancer. Oh, I'll okay. break that down for you really simply, right? At least. When you're accompanying an instrumentalist, they play what's called a gut, okay, mm-hmm. for example. It's the, let's say, you can call it the melody, okay, or the song without lyrics. They're playing that. That's the only, sometimes that's the only fixed thing they're playing. Everything else they're playing in between is from their imagination, right? They're improvising everything. Mm. They have certain rules within that rag that they're playing, but everything else is coming from their own mind. So what the tabla player is basically having to do is accompany in a sensible way. If they're accompanying in tintal, they're playing the tintal teka and playing embellishments in it. And when the instrumentalist or the vocalist is saying, bajao, they're playing a little bit of their solo while the instrumentalist is keeping that gut. Okay. So yes, it's teamwork, but it's also very individual, right? Hmm. Whereas in Kathak, when a person is accompanying Kathak, the Kathak dancer already has these compositions that he or she is going to perform. There will be some things like Upaj will be free flowing. That'll come from her or his mind. That'll be improvisation. But there will be compositions that that tabla player on on the spot, I mean, back in the day, it used to be like this. You go on the spot, you've met the tabla player for the first time. Tabla Mm -hmm. player doesn't play your compositions. He then has to, he or she then has to kind of just sit there and be like, whoa, she's just said this composition. I now have to play it, right? You cannot be... Like if if the composition is there are full tabla bowls in that composition, right? All of this is tabla bowls. But the tabla player doesn't know the composition. Hmm. Right? So how is he going to play He can't. He doesn't know what's coming next. So oh. what he has to do is he has to listen to the groove of the composition rather than what's 
what syllables are made, what what the composition is made up of, hmm. right? And then he just plays according to the groove rather than the exact syllables that are in there. Oh. So, accompanying with Kathak, at least it used to be, you can't be that specific with what you're playing. You just have to make sure that the groove is matching what the dancer is performing. Hmm. Right. Now it's very different. Now we do rehearsals. We sit with the tabla player from before. We tell them we're going to dance this composition, so they know what they're going to accompany with us. But okay. even then, when we're doing tatkar, for example, a lot of dancers they do footwork on theka. Hmm. The tabla player will just play theka, and the dancer will do the footwork. And a lot of dancers say, "No, I want you to play the tatkar with me." Mm. So if I'm doing takita takita din takita takita din, dancer will say, "I want you to play that with me on the tabla, right?" So the tabla player has to be sensitive enough not to be louder than the dancer, not to take over the dancer. The dancer is the main artist on stage, but to also make sure that the backbone of that tatkar is still grooving in the background. It's a very different role. You're literally going with the dancer in kata, whereas when you're accompanying. an instrumentalist or vocalist you are quite you literally quite literally just supporting them with embellishments mm. so it's very very different it's a whole different discipline and i think because this this isn't very common like it's not common knowledge that accompanying kathak is different i feel that there are such less accompanying artists for kathak proficient kathak accompanying artists because people don't really give a lot of attention to that Yeah, cause like I will like I've open on a run, but yeah, the, that's... no, no, that's a, that's brilliant. Cause like I, I've always known about Kathak in the context of like, you know, know about tabla in the context of Kathak, like tabla is an accompaniment to Kathak, and like that story of like this broke and you got two tablas and all that. So I've always yeah. known it in the context of that. I had no idea that that you know what the story, the you know what the background of it like. being that they accompany classical musicians like music instrumentalists more than kathak dancers and how specialized so that's pretty cool yeah. and yeah thanks for sharing that part and i guess sabhi the next thing i want to know is like since you uh, you recently transitioned from say uk to india mm-hmm. uh, what's that transition been like for you yeah big 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 like really huge mm-hmm. uh, huge in many ways obviously i i was born in kolkata and then i i moved to london when i was like 5 and a half 6 years old because my dad um, got a job at bharati vidya bhavan london as a tabla guru mm. uh so my mother and i we we joined him like a few months later in london and first of all it was really massive because i was leaving thamma i was leaving my guru and i was so close to her i was a kid and like leaving your grandmother at that age uh it was it was a pretty big thing but obviously i grew up there went to school there i and it i've been really privileged in many ways because my parents made sure that they traveled with me to india twice a year uh for for many reasons one of them being just language and being rooted to my culture and my traditions and secondly obviously so that i could carry on my talim with my grandmother hmm. uh that being the bigger reason because uh in london you know i was without a guru and uh my my dad and my mom they obviously wanted me to get as much time as i could with thamma hmm. um So I saw be- best of both worlds really throughout my life. Right. Um, 
but what happened in in that kind of time was obviously I was growing up in London where the mentality or the way you grow up is very very different but I was still attached to this uh, art form which is so it's rooted in our culture and in our tradition so whenever I would come here I would see the side the professional side like what you need to do to be a professional artist mm-hmm. here uh, but when I went back to London it was very yeah I love my dance and I'm and I'm doing this is this is my pro- profession it's what I love but it was also very I, I got a lot of openness from being there I realize that now um and the move was I got married recently so I I moved to Pune and it's been great it's been great in the way that obviously I'm now in India where Kathak is so I I have more opportunities to perform I have more opportunities to teach uh, I'm surrounded by more Kathak dancers and more musicians generally so that's been a nice transition it's been difficult in the way that how do I put this um I think when I was back in the UK I was able to say a lot more makes sense i was okay. able to uh put my opinions forward a lot more and i think people understood it a lot more uh, i think cuz i've grown up in a very different way sometimes in india people feel that i'm i think i think it happens to a lot of people who come from abroad uh, they, they are seen as people who don't really understand the culture and the tradition and they don't know how to speak to elders or they don't know how to uh they're deemed as being quite forward mm-hmm. um that's being quite different and that's a big change because it's a change in the way people think about many things not just mm-hmm. the art just how they look at life so yeah that's and of course leaving my parents uh leaving leaving a country that I've grown up in and com- coming to a completely different country with different rules and with just a lot more population a lot more people around you all the time uh, <laughs> and on the other side of things so say before you were coming into ice a year and uh doing india and you're getting that and but now you're kind of just immersed in it constantly has that changed the way you approach the art form or you create or has that added anything additional any anything has your kathak changed in a way or you think no not really i for, for me kathak has stayed the same uh in my mind and in the way that i perform as well uh, yeah. i it doesn't really matter where you are okay your art form at least yeah maybe my opportunities will change uh, yeah that's a different thing like how it affects my career might change but how i think of my art form how i do my riyas or you know the, that that hasn't really changed the process hasn't changed okay um, what has and probably will change is how it's affected my career mm-hmm. uh I like I said I'm surrounded by a lot yeah. more musicians right I can uh-huh. just go and meet a Kathak dancer there are Kathak right. dancers there are musicians everywhere yeah like, that's a really positive change uh-huh. uh, being in London you're not surrounded by a lot of Kathak dancers there are yeah dancers everyone you're not surrounded by a lot of Kathak dancers there are not as many performance mm-hmm. chances in the UK there is more here so mm. that's the kind of change I'm looking for yeah you know Uh, in, in performing opportunities. I think okay. that's why I even thought of moving to India in the first place. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, now I'm very curious on uh, one thing I'm very curious about is like say standing out. So it's like for example like say like say, say the job I have here 
Yes. Uh, I might not have had the same job in India in terms of like, or I would have had to because I would have to. The thing is like, see, because I did a master's, it's easier to get a job here. But if I had like kind of applied in jobs in India, there'd be much more competition. People much more smarter and hardworking than me. I might not have gotten the same opportunities in my scenario. But mm-hmm. I was, uh, but now now that you're in India, like so, we have more opportunities, of course. But there are also more dancers and and right now I think our gen like the younger generations and are more collaborative as well but yeah. in terms of like say stand like you know there are so many people so you kind of need to stand out maybe you have that pressure maybe you don't and you know keeping up with the times and all that so where does all yeah. this factor in to this i have to be so honest like for mm-hmm. example like social media is so big right now correct? yeah like you're present if you want to be a professional anything in right. the world you have to have a social media presence, okay? I, I'm someone who really struggles with that. Like, I can't, like, I know a lot of uh, artists, w- which is so good, like, really good for them. They have, like, a full-on, this week, I have to post something on Instagram, or I have mm. to post something. Oh, Facebook. like a schedule, okay. Like a schedule, which is good. I, I don't have that at all. And okay. Maybe I but that's something that I think everybody needs right now to stay in the circuit, as they say, hmm. for people to remember you. That's how I think a lot of people now think of our profession, which is put yourself out there. You know, put hmm. your stuff out there. Um, share what you've composed or like share a tatkar or like do some expressional pieces on a song. Right. Um, really bad at that so standing out in that way is so hard for me what i try to do just personally is i for me standing out through my art means creating on top of what people have already created mm-hmm. because I, I come from a lineage right my grandfather my great-grandfather my grandmother now my dad uh, my my aunt like these people they've been in this field for so long and they have their own contributions to the field Mm-hmm. And my dadaji and my bade dadaji, they, they, my bade dadaji was the doyen of Jaipur Gharana lineage, right? Pandit Jailalji. So he has so many creations that I could just keep dancing in every single concert. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's my responsibility to do so. But at the same time, to stand out, I always try and think of how I can do it differently to how it's already been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that's really important. I don't just want to go on stage and perform somebody else's composition. Ditto, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go up there and do something different. If my dadaji has composed a parimillu, I want to take inspiration from that and create mine. And then mm-hmm. go on stage and present that. Because it's it's absolutely wonderful giving respect and remembering what our ancestors have done. But it's also important for us Kathak dancers to create something of our own so that we leave something behind, you know. Um, so I like to concentrate on what I have that's special. So I can sing, I have knowledge of tabla, I try and use that in my dance form when I perform. That's my way of standing out. As far as how important it is, like going with the times, it's very important. But I'm not very good at it. So as now I think going with the times is social media. When I see people, social media is the number one thing you need to take off on your list. Mm-hmm. You need to have a good following. You need to have audience that relate to your content. Yeah. I never create content according to my viewers. I create content according to what I want to create. 
right I feel like I should create content that educates people not content that people will like necessarily which is hmm. I know sometimes it's too idealistic right I think you have to kind of make a follow following for yourself so I don't that's always been a difficult part for me when it comes to this profession yeah. or any profession i think hmm yes cuz like especially like if say your livelihood is connected to that then it becomes much more tricky to uh, to like kind of make those distinctions versus what you want to post versus what people will like exactly. if like say for when i'm doing this podcasting like my podcast is monetized in any way shape or form so i can put whatever i want and no consequences for for me for say right so it's like very interesting. those things there there's a lot of factors that play into all of that but i guess have sure. i guess have i wanted this am i curious about you said you're very bad at social media and all that like i kind of found you through instagram and i like your content and everything Thanks. but you but i guess there's a gap bit like there's a perception of you that you know you want to be a certain way here and you're kind of in a different place so what are the things you would want to do differently in your social media what are the things you want to improve for yourself you'd say okay here's the thing yeah. i don't want to do anything i like okay. the way i'm doing my stuff on instagram <laughs> awesome got you it's like there are people around me people who really want me to like who who, who are like oh. well wishes of mine got who are like listen like your content is really good you're a really good dancer you just need to make more content that more people, of it again i make very i make completely classical mm-hmm. content when that's i put out dance stuff it's very like pure kathak stuff yeah. um i'm not really into the whole doing a bow to a bollywood song and then putting it out that that's not my that's not what floats my boat yeah. right so i don't do that stuff and as a mm-hmm. result uh like a lot of people around me they're like you don't have as many followers as may- maybe you should have because i only put out classical content or i put out stuff that i really believe in mm-hmm. and for me it's like i want to educate people in the purity of kathak like mm. i i'm really big on that i'm not like i'm not like oh god the people who are doing that are bad no <laughs> yeah. but me i don't want to so for me i i love everything i'm doing on instagram i think okay. it's but i know look there's a formula to social media we all know that like the, there are algorithms there are things that work and things that don't work as well yeah. we all know that we're not like everybody knows stuff now yeah. but i know that and i'm i'm still stupid enough not to go for that stuff hmm. right i know i will do better my profile will do better if i do certain things differently mm-hmm. uh, but i'm quite stubborn in that way uh that i just want to stick to really classical content mm-hmm. and it it does i don't know it, it does make my audience a lot smaller because mm-hmm. of course if you took a if you took a very famous song and did like kathak bhav to it you will get a lot more audience attracted to your profile because they know that song and they've heard it mm-hmm. right whereas if i post a footwork how many people are really going to understand that so i understand all of that but i'm just really stubborn and i want to stick to the stuff that i'm doing yeah. which is either either good or bad it, i don't know I mean, it seems like it's working out so far. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I guess so. I don't I don't know. I I guess if you if you're someone who find found me through Instagram, and there are other people who are finding me through Instagram, then yeah, I guess I guess it's working well. Yeah. <laughs> you never really know with social media what's working and what's not. 
True, true. And I guess speaking of Instagram, like uh, this is my this is my next question comes from there. I think you posted like a poll about atheism, and that kind of post <laughs> kind of prompted my next question. Um, yeah. Because my so because like yeah, because I'm atheist as well, and one of the things with Kathak is oh, like yeah. there's a lot of like devotion based things or like belief in a higher power and like especially when you're right. and i'm not doing abhinaya yet but i always wonder like people who believe in krishna or shiva might be doing it more convincingly or may have a higher level of conviction when they you know they believe that there is a shiva out there and as one as i wondered like if you don't believe in a higher power will you inherently be not as good or does that hold you back in a certain way artistically or how should you look about that whole thing i'm very curious about that part yeah i mean this there's another question that's in my mind as a answer to your question go for it which is what happens when people find out that you're an atheist kathak dancer and then you do a piece on krishna does it change their perception of how good a dancer you are because our perception of people and what they believe in change the way in which we see them mm. right um we have our biases everybody does okay uh, so i think a lot of people didn't even know i was an atheist until i put it out on instagram a lot of people were quite surprised um because i think kathak dancers are not really seen as people who are atheists anyways um so that's one <laughs> i don't know now now maybe those same people are like hmm she's an atheist does that affect her mm. how maybe they never even thought about it before that <laughs> in that story but so that's yeah amazing. but to answer your question i feel like look i love this art form yes i i love everything to do with it whether it's hmm. the technical portion the footwork the hastak the chakkars the padhan the bhav you know anything all the rasas la lasya tandav i love everything about it yes um but for me at the end of the day when i'm on stage and i'm hmm. portraying a character it is a character for me i just have to do a good job at portraying the emotions that that character um has inhibits okay. I, i know just it's that's my job right mm-hmm. so if i'm telling a story that's what a kathak dancer's job is i'm 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 there to tell a story yes if i'm telling the story of uh, krishna stealing makhan that's my job the mm-hmm. emotion is mischievous yes i'm being mischievous i'm being naughty i'm a little child who's going and stealing makhan mm-hmm. why do i necessarily have to think of it as krishna it could just be a child going and stealing makhan yes any child is going to have the same kind of emotion uh, same kind of expressions when they're going and stealing makhan and they're getting told off by their mother yashoda right for stealing makhan for me i i look at it as a character rather than god hmm that's how i deal with it understood right. but getting back to your point of those people who are who do believe in krishna for example right yeah That, that of course there has to be an added element to that right because they mm. have so much belief in that that it must come out in their performance Understood. so i but i can't say that their performance will be better or mine will be less convincing right. that's completely on the audience um mm. i don't know how to really yeah. it depends on the artist if you're a good enough artist i think you will be convincing enough and it's so, like act <laughs> understand yeah. just uh, 
I was wondering if this has happened to you because like I kind of went to college and I decided nah, I, I don't believe in this anymore. But like since you've been dancing since the age of two, I'm wondering like was there a stage in life where you believed in God and you were doing these characters believing in God and then you kind of then if you then you didn't believe in more and you still did the same characters. Did you go through that transition at some point or how did that work yeah. out for you? I mean, I always believed in God because my parents believed in God. Yeah. it was in your it's in your family like, yeah you kind of start out believe in god right like, like so. you're born you're like born hindu or like uh-huh. muslim exactly right so yeah it, it's nothing to do with whether i believe it's to do with whether my parents believe so my parents believed and yeah. so did i and then i went to school and i think it was in year 8 or okay. something i was on a lunch table with all my friends mm-hmm. and there was really deep conversation on religion and and i was like super convinced that god exists and one of my friends she's she she was an atheist at that age and she was like why do you believe and she kept asking me the same question she was like why do you believe tell me why you believe i just want to know why you believe and she was like really in my face like why do you believe man tell me why you believe oh yeah these are 13 year olds right yeah, yeah these okay. are 13 year olds we're in the long term like yeah. and then suddenly she's like why do you believe Oh I just want to know, and she right. wasn't being aggressive. But to my sensitive mind back then, I was like, "Oh my God, why is she being so aggressive with me?" Except- and like, oh, wait, I just want to. No, 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 Sabri, I'm just asking you, why do you believe? What's the reason? When you believe in something, you believe in it for a reason, yes? And I was like, "Oh shit, I don't think I know why I believe." <laughs> and I think I said, "Like, it's because my parents believe." You know, like how come yeah. my parents are wrong? Like you're a kid, you're naive, you don't know. So I was like, my parents believe it's just always been there. I grew up in a Hindu family, I saw my parents doing puja. They're not like uber religious or anything, but I see them doing puja every day. Yeah. We celebrate. I don't know. We have we're Bengalis, so we have Durga puja every year. You know, dhup ghumate ham log. So like all of this stuff, that all the paraphernalia that's attached yeah. to. Um, hello. I think you're stuck. Oh, I'm. I. I can see your stuff. Okay, I guess it'll come back in a second. Let's see. Um, let me pause this real quick, and you're back. Okay, wait. Hi. Yeah, and I'm back also. Yes. Okay. Cool. Ah, uh, yeah. I think that was my internet. Yeah. It's fine. Can you hear me though? You're... Yeah. You're talking about like being Bengali, be all the paraphernalia yeah. and the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like. You know, you're Bengali. There's Durga Puja every year. You get dressed up with new clothes, and you go and see like you go to a pandal. Like in UK, you have like these, you know, Durga Pujas that happen. You go there. There's a Bengali community. You enjoy that. Then there's all the paraphernalia added to you know doing puja and dia and all of that. You always grow. You've grown up with that. Okay. So for me, I was telling. I was like, yeah, like that's why I'm a Hindu. And she was. She didn't say anything. And okay. reply to that but when i went back home i was like i don't even think like god isn't really like a part of my life i make it a part of my life when my parents want me to make it a part of my life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it hasn't really affected my life in that sense the belief of it i don't attribute any of my failings or my successes to this higher power right i I really want I never really feel comfort in the thought that there's a higher power uh nothing really related me to it and I was like I don't think I believe I questioned it for a long time like I think 2 years I think till year 10 I I used to think like sometimes I'd sit and be like do I believe do I not believe like what's mm. going on in my head 
and then I think year 10, year 11, I was like, sure, like, I don't, I, there's just, there was no connection, right? So I was like, I don't believe in it. With regards to dance, um, nothing really changed because even when I started learning like Guru, like the only thing I can say that I really did with a lot of conviction was like Guru Vandana, for example. Mm. Like, when I learned Guru Vandana, I have a lot of respect to my, towards my Guru. I believe in my Guru. <laughs> so yeah. like, that was, you know, when I was a kid and whatever. Now when I perform Guru Vandana, it's obviously very different. I've matured and I still believe in it a lot. So maybe yeah. you could say that that has genuine devotion. Like when I mm. perform, that has genuine devotion. Um, but when I perform other things, it's pretty much just, it's always been like that, though, to be completely honest. I, I can't remember a time when I performed like a Krishna thing or a Shiva thing or like I don't know like a Saraswati one then I, and I actually felt devotion for me it was always um, how can I perform it best so that that emotion comes out to the audience I want them to be convinced that I'm doing a good job you know that I'm justifying the characteristics mm. the characteristics of a Shiva or characteristics of a Durga or Saraswati um, but yeah it's never affected I don't think it's affected my dance like I said now maybe that people know I'm an atheist. I don't know how they're going to look at me when I perform a Durga or a Shiva piece. Might hmm. be but for me personally, it's never, never hampered my art form or the way that I think about it. Understood. Understood. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that first question was very interesting as well. Like the whole concept of immersion, like perception and how things change when you know something about someone. And I guess Saberi. No, I was just gonna say that I yeah. think that uh, I I say that because I've seen it happen a lot. Huh. Like if I if I say that I don't believe in God, there's instantly so many questions. Oh. Like you're as an atheist, I, especially now that I'm here, I, I'm not in the UK anymore. Like in the UK, religion isn't a massive thing. I think it used to be back in the day, but now like I don't. I hardly met people who even go to church uh, or like, you know, that, I don't know. Yeah. Here, now that I'm here, like, it's hard sometimes to confront your own family members about the f fact that you're an atheist. Like, it mm. can be quite an awkward conversation. It's awkward. It's not like bad, but right. it's awkward. Right? They're like, why? Why mm. don't you? Like, they're always looking at you with this, like, Got you. Why? why won't you? It's so obvious that you should. Mm. <laughs> right? So then you... Um, you kind of have to explain and their perception of you does change because I think being an atheist is quite, it's quite out there in India. It's not exactly something you'd speak about on a daily basis. Like religious people speak about their religion on a daily basis here. But mm -hmm. I don't think it can speak about their atheism on a daily basis. I think yeah. it's quite different. Yeah, I know. Even in the US, like if I meet someone religious, I tell them I don't tell them I'm atheist because that's going to start a whole conversation. I just tell them I'm agnostic, so they believe they have hope for me or something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, the hope thing is quite funny. Yeah, so, so, so agnostic is a nice soft word because they think that you know, he yeah, they're just confused. UK is good in that way. I yeah. never felt that I couldn't say to someone, "Oh, I'm an atheist." Oh, I, I yeah. always felt that I could, and they were always like, "Oh, cool!" Like they make maximum, they would be like, "So, did you ever believe in God?" And then I'd tell them this story, like, okay. me. but it That's would true. never here. It's been quite different. I have to, mm. if somebody says something about God, I just have to. Okay, <laughs> understood. <laughs> and 
I guess uh, Saveri coming to my final question because I'm looking at my topic list and we kind of gone through everything else. Um, mm -hmm. So guys, coming to my final question, Saveri. So say you've learned in immersion, you know, you like kind of grew up in the whole environment of Kathak Tabla and all that. And mm -hmm. now that you're teaching in an environment where, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're teaching in a new city, so to speak, the kids are different now. They have like 50, they, even in, even in India, they have like multiple priorities, hobbies and things like that. They may not pick things up as intuitively like you gave an example, right? So I guess wanted to know, like, how do you think you'll be, you are or will be teaching differently than how you were taught? Um, I think first of all, I'll, probably I'll have to let my students write. Okay. Let them write. <laughs> yeah, literally. Let, I mean, there, there were times in my, when I was learning with Thamma was like, why? I, I used to ask, what if I forget this? You know, can I just, and she would be like, no, why would you forget it? Just practice it like 50 times and you won't, you know, it's like a, it's a simple thing. You can't do that with students now, mm. unless they're like so committed to their guru that they can't say no to them which is a rarity now i think and unless you're like a elder guru i think if you're a senior guru no one's gonna listen to you they're gonna bring their pieces of paper and pen or bring a recorder or something that catches a recorder i think more than a piece of paper and pen now i do um, that yeah 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 exactly so i think i have to let them even though i i don't believe in like not recording anything but i do think that it makes you a it makes your brain work a little harder if you don't write or if you sure. don't record stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, that I've definitely, I'm doing that anyways. I let my students write everything and anything. I let them record. I send them recordings myself because they ask, they're like, can you, after this lesson, could you please record this and send it to me? You know, that. Super useful. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do that now. I understand that you need that, especially now in the digital world where people are doing online classes. How are you ever going to, have that relationship with your guru if they're not sending you recordings, you know? So I completely understand that that's a big change for me, at least because I learned in the completely traditional way of not yeah. writing. It was all oral tradition. Yeah. So, um, second of all, I think, uh, I, I like to really try and give students the opportunity to create from a very early stage in their learning. Um, like the way I learned, it was learn all the vocabulary, vocabulary, grammar, compositions, tart, everything properly. Do years and years of that riyaz and then you're able to create stuff on your own. Whereas I'm really trying to, in my own way, tell students from now that yes, I'm teaching you this composition or I'm giving you this. It's a, it's a fixed thing. But you need to create things in your mind from now. So if I give them a tatkar, like I said, like an example of takite, takite, dhina, takite, takite, I give them the first variation. I say to them, next lesson, come to me with a variation of your own. Because they already know the vocabulary. It's takite, takite, din, right? So right. now, make a permutation combination of that, use tintal, and come to the lesson with your own variation. I think from a young age, if that's done, right, I think we'll create more thinking Kathak dancers rather than Kathak dancers who just perform compositions after compositions of compositions of, of other people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a massive change in the way that I'm teaching at least because mm -hmm. I don't want the kids to get into the habit of just performing other people's stuff and then 
suddenly when I tell them create something of your own, they're like, what? How do mm. I do that? You know, you have to get them into the habit. I was in it all the time, so the transition for me wasn't as hard. But for people who don't come from a background of Kathak or music, it's hard for that transition to come by itself. Mm. So I think that's one thing that I'm really, I, I, I try to put into my students, which is create on your own. Using the grammar and the vocabulary that you know, create on your own. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that example that you give really helps in terms of create on your own. Because like when you say create, that could just mean anything. I just like, no, no, that no, no, so I mean, that example was super useful there for yeah, sure. With anything, you have yeah. to give something to start off with, right? Like you can't just be like, create now. <laughs> what? Create That's what? You have to be specific. I have to say, yeah. create a female loop, create or like I have to give specific points. Create a composition that has dhalang and uh, I don't know, the use of heels in it. And then mm. they have something to work on. You can't just be like, create. <laughs> That's mm. too broad for any student. Uh, I think that comes a lot later when you can just create. Mm. Um, that's a very, that's a whole okay. different thing. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that, that kind of brings this episode to an end, like just to reflect. One of my favorite parts is you called it a rant, but I really like it when you kind of really dive, dove deep into the technicalities of, of a Katha specialized tabla accompaniment versus everything else. And because that is something I'm going to go back and listen to again as well. And the part where you mentioned doing like your own footwork using tabla, I just have to go back and like listen to that part again. But there was a lot of interesting insights there. And yeah, thanks for just coming on and being so open no, about what. Yeah. It was not, and it was, there were different questions, and I think that's important because I've done lots of interviews. Though the questions are all the same, and yeah. you know you get bored of answering like the same, the mm -hmm. same stuff. Like, when did you start, and how was your journey? And it's like how many times? Yeah. That? But, <laughs> so and... it was nice to answer different, different things. Yep, for sure. Especially about my like, I've never spoken. I think I told you this on the phone. I've never spoken about my atheism because no one's asked me. Like, I don't feel the need to, like, go out of the way and be like, hi, I'm an atheist. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Right? So, like, if you should do asks, it in exactly that tone, just like that. I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> It'll create too much, too, too much of a buzz, I think. Mm -hmm.